0: A start
1: on demand. On-, on demand.
0: We often speak about the Winnipeg Jets and the great success they've enjoyed this season and the Manitoba Moose. They are, you know, ripping it up in the AHL, but they're, not everybody's into sports. That's totally true. Uh, and I think this, where I'm going with this, the segue is that something happened last night that I, I think, and Jeff Braun's here, one of the couch potatoes, it was a show last night that I think is probably as close to you, as you can get to sports without watching sports. I think it
2: counts as sports.
0: When we're talking about Survivor. Let's not get carried away, boys. Well, hang on a second. It counts as sports as much as wrestling counts as sports. How about that? Because okay, it's, it's, it's the closest thing I can think of as television that is comparable to sports because it's a game. Mm. People study it. Mm. Players are revered. Um, this is the kind of show now that people have been watching for 16 seasons. It been on since, what, 2000? Yeah. So people don't just, they come in with a strategy on how to play this game, and it has, watching the, especially the finale last night was for Season 35, has all the ups and downs of like watching a big game. Well, and let's face it, each of these players do end up having fans. Some
1: of the, these players end up having people that absolutely detest them. Okay, you've swayed me.
0: Yeah. You've swayed me. <laughs> so, Survivor Season 35, Heroes, Hustlers, Hunt, Healers, it? I Healers, think. Healers, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say Hunters. I was going to say Hunters. That's wrong. Uh, that I heard last night on Global, Jeff Braun,
2: uh, one of the best finales, maybe the best one ever. That was insane. I couldn't believe it. Usually, you, it used to be in years past... These finales would have a lot, and I mean a lot, of just dead, dead time, you know what I mean? they do these long rambling uh, reminiscences of players from, you know, weeks before. Oh, and boy, be that like, was a, the worst. Yeah, and that was, that was like a 10-minute segment where they'd walk through and remember everybody. They kicked off the show, and so they've done away with that. They start these finales with an extra player, so they got more people to sort of weed out, and it just makes things go faster. And then there was just so much drama and tension There was people, these challenges, that one, that final one, went back and forth so many times, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was like, oh, you know... Ben's clearly going to win this, and then he just, right at the last second, he just went to pot, and then the other one was like, oh, she's going to win, and then that went to pot, and back and forth. I couldn't believe it. It was was amazing. Yeah, it really was uh, super exciting. I was, I'm sure
0: that my neighbors in my apartment block were really upset with me, because I was, oh my god, I was screaming out loud during during that challenge, because it was (laughs) so tense, and then there were twists and turns after that, and then into the tribal council, more twists and turns. It was, as you pointed out, it was just... Just this constant stream of anxiety, and I think it was the first time where I, going into the, the, so the final three, two of the final three, I would have been 100% okay with the winner. Like sometimes I'm kind of, I'm rooting for one, but I think, well, I, if that person wins, I'll be okay with that too. But in this case, I, I would have taken two of them, so agreed. Uh, the, thir- the third one. Yeah, and actually, the fact that we're not <laughs> mentioning the winner is—what do you think about that? Because if something happened in the news yesterday, obviously it's going to be in the news, and we're going to talk about it. And, and if, it if it was it, a Jets game, would we would be talking about I it. I was won? about
1: to say, are you going to tell me who won? Do you or want to know who won? Well, it wouldn't Sp- matter to you. Oh, I don't care who won. <laughs> I, and I
0: guess, I guess, the point—if you watched Survivor,
2: you would have watched it last night. Uh,
0: but if, if Do you
1: don't want to know who won, turn off your. You would plug have already ears for probably plugged seconds.
2: your ears. yes. Yeah. So we'll yeah. say that we could say that Ben won. So Ben did win, and he played the best game. Although Chrissy played the, her home stretch was amazing. Yeah, like nothing any other year, and even yesterday I would have been fine with her winning too. I like both of them.
0: Yeah, she won four four consecutive individual immunity challenges, and one of the interesting things was eight. Of the nine Im, uh, individual immunity challenges, were won by women, which is, I think, the first time. So Chrissy had a dominant game, but and, he uh, found
2: three immunity idols in a row. So yeah,
0: it so was, was ben, impressive.
1: Was Ben a backstabber, or was it? Did he nope. play a clean game? Was he a good guy, and were people happy to see him win? Where Where did he fit? It wasn't in the, really in a in the, backstabber the,
2: because he didn't have any backs to stab. He was a front stabber because he was sort of on an island by himself yeah. after a while.
0: Yeah.
1: So is it my imagination, or do the uh, the jerks end up? Winning this game quite often.
0: Sometimes, yes. Uh, sometimes, no. I think Ben. I don't think he was a jerk. He was aggressive, but he was. He made it very clear. I'm here to win a million dollars for my family. Yeah.
2: Okay. And it depends. A lot of it so often depends on the pe- the jury, the voters, and how angry and bitter and petty they can be. Because sometimes you end up with a bunch. Basically, I think like yesterday that they appreciate the gameplay and they can take a little bit of the backstabbing. It's like, well, that's just part of it, but sometimes you get these self-righteous people who's like, oh my god, you turned on me and I could never forgive you, you know what I mean? And they totally forget that turn on what is basically, I mean, we said it was sports, but it's really a glorified game show.
1: Well, this guy declared <laughs> his intentions from the get-go, yeah. right?
2: So how can anybody be it's that angry with it him? It was good. It was just oh, it was so thrilling
0: to Yay, watch.
1: Man. Yay, Ben! Yay! 35- where do I get
0: Ben jerseys? Can I get a Ben jersey? <laughs> 35 seasons in, Survivor's still great on Global Television, consistently a top five program in Canada with just over two million viewers, and it's always a top 20, top 25 performer in the United States. Looking forward to season 36. Had you ever heard of the Steve Eklund guy before? I have not heard of him.
1: Uh, I guess he's uh on the show called The Edge or the show. Yeah, the, the the variety of hosts. They they talk about surviving in the wilderness, and anyway, he, he's He's gone out and shot himself a cougar and posted pictures online. This is a big cat. Have you seen this cat? I have. Holy man. Well, this Canadian hunting show host is under fire for these photos that he's posted online, and
3: Shadow has a take on that. Good morning. You may have seen this on globalnews.ca, maybe Twitter or Facebook. It's all over the place. I'll warn you right now. Some of the content I'm about to discuss is fairly graphic. It may disturb you. Steve Eklund is one of the hosts of The Edge. It's a Canadian hunting show that airs on Wild TV. Posted some photos of himself on social media with a large dead cougar he'd killed on a hunting trip to Northern Alberta earlier this month. The caption on the photo read, Northern Alberta lion with big cat adventures. Brian and Claudette Chorney can't thank you guys enough for the eye-opener into your world of houndsmen. Well, actually, there's more than one photo. There's a number of them. In this one, he's hugging the dead, bleeding cougar. In this one, he's holding the dead cougar up like a stuffed animal. He's smiling huge in all these pictures, by the way. Here's one of him making some cougar stew. Now, this is something many people may not realize, but we mentioned a while back when we had some alleged cougar sightings on the outskirts of Winnipeg. Cougar hunting is legal in Alberta. From September 1st to the end of February for Alberta residents and from December 1st to the end of February for non-Alberta residents. There are a lot of cougars in Alberta. Matter of fact, a woman in Calgary's Fish Creek Provincial Park came face to face with one the other day, just out for a walk. I'm not justifying, I'm just pointing it out. Needless to say, the backlash has been massive with posts like, I hope you drop dead soon pathetic coward. I'm not going to threaten you. I just feel sorry for you. Killing should never be an adrenaline rush unless you are a sociopath. Laureen Harper, the wife of our former prime minister, even chimed in on Twitter. She said, what a creep chasing a cougar with dogs until they're exhausted, then shooting a scared, cornered and tired animal must be compensating for something. Small penis, maybe. There were some positive comments. Awesome job, Steve. Congrats on a fine cat. Will look great on the wall. Mm. Here's how Eklund responded to all the attention on Facebook. If you can guess what post has 900 likes, 450 comments, 13 confirmed death threats, 754 swear words, and one very happy hunter, I will enter your name into the draw for a new cougar cookbook filled with mouth watering recipes for your next. Mountain lion hunt with a couple of laughing emojis after that. No actual comment from Eklund just yet. All right, my dad was a hunter, went for geese, ducks, and deer every year. He was ethical. He used every part of the animals he killed. And I hated it. I just never understood it. Then again, he grew up in the country. And while I did spend some time in the country each and every summer, I'm a city boy. I don't understand how hunting is labeled a sport when one side has such a huge advantage over the other. You've got a rifle with a scope that can kill from over a mile away. All you have to do is sit there and wait. Where's the challenge? Where's the sport in that? I think maybe every hunter who kills for sport should go out with a knife only if they want to call it sport and see how they do then. But first, maybe every sport hunter should feel the rush of being hunted himself. By guys with guns for 24 hours. You get an hour head start, and then after that, we're going to track you down, and you'll never see the kill shot coming. Then, we'll snuggle your dead, bleeding body and put the pictures on Facebook. But hey, if you survive, go ahead. Go hunt some cougars. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Isn't there a show called Man Tracker
1: for... The similar sort of adrenaline rush of yeah. being tracked by a human being? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Shadow, why don't you just tell us how you really feel about this? <laughs> we're having coffee <laughs> and we're talking about identity fraud. <laughs> uh, we just uh, played in the last, uh, oh, 15 minutes or so, a report from Brittany Great Greenslade about how it's a good idea to shred your boarding pass so that QR code doesn't end up in the hands of Someone unscrupulous who may want to steal your identities. So today we're having coffee talking about identity fraud. Have you ever been a victim? And what steps are you taking in your life that prevent that from happening? Uh, Brett, you and I were talking just yesterday about the idea of using
0: public Wi-Fi. And uh, it's something that you tend not to do. I don't. And it's interesting because somebody, uh, a buddy of mine, my friend Mike, he says to me, you don't use public Wi-Fi, but you have tap. enabled on your debit card. And I thought, hmm, that's a good point. And you mentioned it earlier. You said people have scanners for that kind of thing. So I'm really starting to think twice about whether or not I should disable that function on my card. It's just so convenient. It is. And I'm lazy. It's magical.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Shanelie Vidal, uh, what are you doing to make sure nobody uh, claims to be SLV somewhere else?
5: Well, that would be hard to do because there's definitely only one SLV. I'll tell you that. Um, but I, I don't do the tap thing. I don't know. That makes me nervous with the card because it's just so easy to spend your money or for someone else to spend your money. Whenever I buy things, I'm careful to to hide my 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 code. What you know, whether I'm paying by credit card or debit card. And I always feel like okay, like I don't want you guys to think I think you're you know thieves or anything. But I'm just. Just, uh, just a ritual that I do. But I've, I've, I'm lucky. I've never had my identity stolen. Uh, knock on wood. It happened to my mom when I, when I was a lot younger. Um, actually, turned out like her credit card got stolen. And it was uh, like we found out it was a friend of my brother's, and he had done this, and he'd done it done to other people. And it was like a whole because a whole bunch of pizzas were ordered. But fortunately, the uh, the credit card company realized okay. You know, Wanda, you you, probably not ordering all of these pizzas for you. So let's let's double check on this.
1: Kelly, uh, you and I were talking, all of us were talking about your experience in Europe and how, you know, some people get worked up when the credit card company puts a stop on things. You had the exact opposite experience.
6: We were on a holiday in Portugal and the first day was okay. The credit card went through. But the second day we were having dinner And I just thought, because in some places, they want cash and they don't want credit cards. So I thought, ah, okay, they're just messing me around. So I want to pay in cash for the dinner. But then I get a phone call from the credit card company. or Sorry, we phoned the credit card company and said, what's the deal? And they said, well, we've actually stopped your card because we noticed some charges from Portugal. And you only said you were going to be in England. So I thanked them very much. I was not the least bit upset. I felt quite relieved and, and said, no, that's our bad. We didn't tell you that we were going here. So it it does work. And, you know, Shanalese just pointed out a, another example where they've looked after you. So I I, I think as many checks and balances as you can have with the people you're dealing with uh, with respect to your finances is never, ever a bad thing.
1: And Bronner, you and I were speaking yesterday, right, about the idea of limits on how much you can spend with your Interac in a given day because there are a lot of people that do have limits Uh, and sometimes they step in and say, hold on, you spent too much money today or you can't make this large a
2: purchase. Yeah, and that's always a good idea. And I've got friends who they've got like a special credit card that's just for, you know. buying stuff online from Amazon or movie tickets or whatever else, and it's got a really low limit. Just in case something does go hinky, they can't be on the hook, worst-case scenario, for too much money. Uh, One time it happened to me that someone stole my credit card, and I just, you know, I I can't remember what I wanted to use it for, but it didn't work, and so I called them. I was like, what's up with that? (laughs) Because I didn't go anywhere. I wasn't on vacation or anything, and they're like, oh, yeah, we canceled your credit card because we found, you know, we didn't think you bought... plane tickets to Calgary, Paris and Phoenix all for the same day from Winnipeg. <laughs> and then they go and then they go we called you 2 weeks ago to tell you about it and it says here you just hung up on us. <laughs> So I guess I, I thought they were scammers or something like that. And it's like, you're not, from, a, you're, you're not from Visa, click. That's, that's
1: going to be a big <laughs> issue now, right, for these credit card companies and these different organizations. Because people are afraid to have a conversation. I had a conversation with a credit card company the other day. And I said, just so I know yeah. who I'm yeah. talking to, I'm going to quiz you about me a little bit
2: I think, and see what you know. I think even I would do, if they called me, I would say, okay, and then hang up. And then call the number on the card, and, you know, whoever answers that should have the same info. That's a pretty good strategy. Well, and they Mm -hmm. should have left you a voicemail, too. Yes. They probably did, and I don't listen to my voicemail. (laughs) 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 Is Is it my mom? Is it the dentist? uh No, delete. <laughs> the oh. dentist. Why is
0: the dentist? I don't dentist know. The dentist, the, dentist sec- call,
2: the dentist calls often to confirm my appointments. So.
0: Yeah, Jeff, Jeff <laughs> runs dental hygiene. is is quite good. Oh. Uh, it's legendary. Behind the glass, Jerry. Any uh, has anything like this ever happened to you? Luckily, no. I mean. uh
3: I went for a trip to Scotland once, and uh, the credit card company told me beforehand, because I was talking to a guy at the bank, and he said, you know, you really need to call ahead of time and let them know you're going to be there, or your credit card might not work. I said, oh, okay, and he said, same thing with your debit card. If you're planning on using your debit card, let us know. And so I did, and no, no issues there.
0: A new tax bill has been passed in the United States. Here's Shadow Davis to weigh in on that.
3: Good morning. A big win for Donald Trump is the most extensive tax reform package in the United States since 1986, passed Congress yesterday. Not one Democrat voted for this bill, by the way, but that's a whole other story. The bill passed and now it moves on to the White House for the president's signature where it will finally become a law. Trump celebrated the victory surrounded by members of the GOP yesterday afternoon.
4: It's the largest tax cut in the history of our country and reform, but tax cut. Really something special. And I noticed this just came out two minutes ago. They handed it to me. AT&T plans to increase U.S. capital spending $1 billion and provide $1,000 special bonus to more than 200000 U.S. employees, and that's because of what we did. So that's pretty good.
3: Okay, great. So Americans of all income levels will get tax breaks some more than others. But the big question is, how will this affect Canada? Jack M. Mintz of the FinancialPost.ca says, Canada's economy is about to get heavily sideswiped. I don't like the sound of that, so let's read on here. He says the U.S. bill contains a large number of provisions that will affect the global economy, but the most important ones are the reduction in the corporate income tax rate and new limitations on the deduction of interest expense. So let's start with the corporate tax rate. The current rate is 39.1%. That's among the highest in the world. This new rate will bring it down to 26%. ...compared to Europe's 26.1% and Canada's 26.7%. Tax rates on new investments in manufacturing and services currently 34.6%. This new rate will bring it down to 18.8% compared to Europe's 22.5% and Canada's 21.2%. Mint says this means the U.S. economy, which could grow a full percentage point when this takes effect... ...will create more demand for imported goods and services... But they're also turning themselves into a more powerful magnet for corporate investment that might have gone elsewhere, like here. Canada's competitive position is about to get rocked, he says, making it harder for Canadian governments to push costs onto businesses through higher levies and regulations. Federal and provincial authorities will need to change course, because if politicians sit on their hands, the private sector won't. Canadians will see investment, jobs and profits flowing to the United States. So even though the U.S. rates will only be a few percentage points lower than Canadian rates with this new bill, think about 2% of a billion dollar business. So what about that? What about a Canadian company moving to the United States to save millions in taxes and taking their jobs with them? According to a global news report from last week, Economic Development Canada did a survey of 1,002 Canadian firms and 26% of them indicated they are moving or considering moving part of their operations to the U.S. in response to the elevated uncertainty regarding these NAFTA negotiations. I'd imagine if this same survey was done again early in the new year, that 26% number would be considerably higher with this new tax law in the state. So will the liberal government rethink their business tax strategy? I truly doubt it, but it'll be something to watch for in the coming months. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you very much, Shadow Davis. I was born in a small town in in a small town
1: It is time now for the Small Town Salute, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. We're going to head a little bit west of Dauphin, out to one of our favorite winter destinations, out in Assisipi Provincial Park. And we're joined now by Hannah Holt, who's Marketing and Event Manager for Assiniboine Ski Resort. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time with us. How cold is it at the mountain today?
7: Um... I think she's a wee bit chilly outside. Um, I haven't actually been outside just yet, but um, I know I'll definitely be wearing a very big winter jacket today.
1: <laughs> That's an outstanding weather report. Thank you, Hannah. You're hired. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, we were at Holiday Mountain uh, last week uh, in this time slot. We thought we'd uh, take a little bit of a, a trip a little further north, a little further west uh, to Mississippi. So give us a little bit of a geography lesson. Where are you, Hannah?
7: Um, so we are just, North of the Highway 16, um, closer to the border of Sask. Um, probably about a four-hour drive from Winnipeg. Um, very, still pretty close, considering. Um, is are very few and far between in Manitoba. Um, so yeah, we're closer to the border. Um, just you go along the Highway 16, and then you turn north onto the Highway 83, and follow the signs, and then you're at Saskatoon.
0: So as far as the skiing is concerned, because, I mean, hey, we're, it's Manitoba, it's the prairies, you know, the, <laughs> the big mountains don't jump top, top of mind, but there are some great places to ski. So how yes, many sure. uh, hills do you have there, or how many runs? Uh,
7: we have 26 runs. We have a four-lane tubing park, and we have a bunny hill with a 450-foot magic carpet.
0: 26 runs? I have, that sounds yeah. I, I I need to get out there. And what's a, uh, yeah, you do, <laughs> Hannah. What's a magic carpet?
7: Uh, so the magic carpet is it's like a surface lift. Um, so instead of a chair lift where you have to go and you sit on and you get lifted off the ground, it's a surface lift where you're. You can just kind of slide onto it, and it's kind of like an escalator, a moving escalator, I guess you could call it, and it it takes you up the bunny hill. Outstanding. fantastic for learners.
1: Yeah, no kidding, and uh, so are you concerned about the forecast, or, I mean, you've got to be hardy to participate in all sorts of outdoor events Mm -hmm. in Manitoba, but uh, I'm anticipating, and I suspect you are as well, being very busy over the holiday season.
7: Yeah. um, The forecast is a little bit of a concern, but, you know, you just have to rug up warm and make sure you dress accordingly. Don't come out skiing in your jeans. Um, Put on your winter clothes and you can still enjoy it. Like, it's better than moping around inside. (laughs) We definitely hope it's going to be busy this Christmas break. And I hope that this extreme cold weather is just going to pass quickly so that people can actually enjoy their break.
0: So as far, I mean, other than the skiing, what is it about that region of Manitoba uh, that uh, made you decide to call it home?
7: Um, For me, um, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I come from a city in New Zealand, and I don't know, when I came here, it's something... Hit home for me. I really like seeing animals everywhere. Um, I love going for drives. The scenery is just so beautiful here. Um, there's something to do in both summer and winter around here. We've got the beautiful English elevators, which I just think are just fantastic. Um, I love the snow. I absolutely love the snow. Coming from where I'm from, they don't you don't really get snow like this and Wellington, New Zealand, and I just think it's absolutely fascinating.
1: (laughs) Of course, there's Duck Mountain Provincial Park, and you're in Mississippi uh, Provincial Park. uh,
7: Yeah, ducks are doing really well. Yep, ducks is just north of here. Right. Um, They have really appreciated the big dump of snow um, that we've been getting.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's a beautiful part of the province if you've never made it out. Russell is a community that's got uh, lots to offer, lots of uh, all the essential right. essential services for sure. So uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you, Hannah?
7: Um, so to get in touch with Assisipi, um, the best place is on our website, which is just com. There's also our social media accounts, which is uh, Facebook is uh, Assisipi Resort, and Instagram, which is just at Assisipi. Both places we try and keep updated very regularly. The website has our daily snow conditions, which is updated every single day. Um, So that's probably the best place. Um, And then, yeah, follow us on social media to keep up to date with all the fun stuff that we've got going on.
5: Well,
0: yeah, I'm just looking at some of the pictures online at uh, another <laughs> website, tourism dot com, and there is yeah. uh, just a lovely picture of the 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 English Green elevators that you talked about. So it really yeah, does look like a. Funny. I I've been trying to to explore southern Manitoba through golf over the recent years. I have not made oh, it okay. out to to your part of the the province yet. So I'm hoping to there's at some, some great point.
7: Golf courses around here. Okay, there's well, some fantastic golf courses here.
0: I'm sure there are. Thank you so much, Hannah Holt, for uh, joining us this morning to tell us about Assisippi. Wonderful. Hannah Holt is marketing and event manager for Assisippi Ski Resort. As you heard, if you're looking for somewhere to ski, 26 runs. Over there, that's pretty cool. I've only been skiing twice, but I love it and I should try it again.
1: Yes, you should try it again. It is uh, one of the best sports around, and uh, snowboarding, uh, to all the snowboarders out there, is uh, excellent out there as well. So here we go. 384-page report was released yesterday by the province's Wait Times Reduction Task Force. One of the key findings has to do with developing more proactive mental health care services in order to cause less strain on emergency rooms. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry. It's The Shadow Davis Show. And we're joined now to talk about mental health support uh, by our friend Adam Milne from the Mood Disorders of Manitoba and uh, Adam... This report is 384 pages, as mentioned, 11 of which are dedicated to mental health. One page and, well, almost two full pages of key recommendations. One of the key recommendations, in fact, it's the first one, involves something you, Brett, and I have been discussing on the air for going on a year and a half now, and that has to do with peer support. So... How heartened are you to know that one of the key recommendations is something that you've been advocating for uh, at Mood Disorders of Manitoba and for the uninitiated, what is peer support?
8: Peer support is the inclusion of people who have lived through um, mental health issues, mental health diagnosis, and are able to now contribute to other people's recovery by giving their experience someone who understands to talk to and resources and coping skills so that they can help get through what they're dealing with. Uh, that's what peer support is. Uh, how heartened I am that it was the you know one of the number one recommendations for what they want to do. I think that it exemplifies that what we've been doing since 1983. But at the same time, I think it shows that the province is willing to look at every avenue to get people the help that they need, and that peer support, which. In some previous parts of its history, was not necessarily well regarded. Is now being looked at as that people are smart and compassionate in caring and can really help each other. And I think that's that's the message that they've been delivering.
0: Well, and I'm just looking at uh, the at one of the uh, the excerpts of this report. Uh, it's the 7.3 mental health part of this uh, report, and it says in consultations, many staff noted that despite their low overall percentage of total visits, a single very ill mental health patient can, quote, paralyze the emergency department when the emergency physician is stuck on the phone trying to find a psychiatrist who will provide a consultation or hospital admission while interacting with the patient and family members. So when you see it put into this kind of, like, you know, this sort of stark clinical contrast, um, it, it 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 just shows how serious uh, this issue is.
8: I think it's very serious. I think that... When you're dealing with primarily medical issues, let's talk a heart attack or a broken leg, there is a strict process that people go through to diagnose, determine, and treat that process. Very effective. They do a good job about it. Because mental health has so many variables involved, two people with depression can present very differently based on how they are that day. The same person on different days could have different how they present. It really does take... Um, more time to settle that in, and the services are not as easily available. And so that doctor who's spending that time on the phone and also trying to deal with the patient and the family, if they had a person who could talk to the patient and the family in terms that they understand And in a way that's showing that, okay, I've been here, I know where you've been, this is what you can expect, this is what they're doing, can really relieve the pressure on the nurses and the doctors to actually find the next set of, of medical procedures for them while the family and the person who needs the help is getting the support they need to kind of wait that process out.
1: And uh, the waiting process and waiting for the appropriate help, uh, whether you're at an emergency room or in the community, is a lengthy one. There's an acknowledgement in here that I think is good news part of this long wait. And, and uh, hopefully you'll see it this way, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. But the fact that all this advocacy that's being done in the public now over the last decade or so is creating an, an air for people to feel comfortable to come forward with their issues there not everyone but more people than ever are coming forward with mental health issues but that has a flip side the double edged sword is more people are coming forward but there aren't the resources aren't keeping pace to the number of people who are coming forward And if we don't address this as a society, as a community, as a uh, medical system, this is going to, mental health is going to continue to clog the works and to to be an issue in terms of moving people quickly through the system and getting them out of the ER.
8: I agree. Uh, I mean, the leading point of that, more people are willing to come and talk about uh, their mental health struggles and the illnesses they're dealing with. I mean, it's a lot bigger now than it was 10 years ago, five years ago. Uh, our numbers show it. The hospital numbers show it. Everyone's numbers show that this is the, the biggest rising health concern, at least in you know in Canada. Uh, but the reality here is that the services haven't grown to match, uh, and that is inherently going to be a a slower process because you're training, you're, you're redirecting the training, of, and and these training processes aren't six months or a year. When you want to be a doctor, this is ten years of your life. Right. So when you need to specialize in something that's the growing thing. It it takes time to get those people through the system and get there. So I think by them looking at peer support as a valid addition, that is something that can react faster. It doesn't require that the 10 years of school and residency to get where you need to go, that process can be a lot quicker to get people in a position where they can offer help, but also means that there's more people ready today that can help them. I mean... Just using our own hours, two years ago, like two summers ago, we were openly open 9 to 4 Monday to Friday. Now we're open 9 to 9 Monday to Friday and 10 to 4 Saturday, Sunday. And those are volunteers. Those are people who just care about it. Those aren't even the people with associated degrees or you know all those programs that have helped people develop things. I don't want to minimize volunteers. They're the backbone of everything that we do and are super important to getting the community help. That's where grassroots come from is their heart and their care. But they can respond to a need faster than anyone else can because they're available and they're here and they want to help. Now, if the health system involved peer support in their facility, it probably wouldn't be volunteers. But you can pull from this base of people who've been helping people for 10 years to provide services that are just going to assist the nurses and the doctors in trying to get done what they have to get done because they can spend the time in the very needed conversation process so that the the nurses and doctors can focus on the medical results.
0: Adam Milne from the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba in the 60 seconds that we have left here. And Now, this is great that this is a recommendation, but we're likely a long way off. So in the meantime, if somebody needs support, how do they get in touch with your organization?
8: We're open every day of the year, uh, so you can call 204-786-0987. That's our warm line. Our website is themooddisordersmanitoba.ca. You can come into our office at 4 Fort Street. There's drop-in services both for group and for one-on-ones, where you could just talk to somebody in that moment. And 9 to 9, Monday to Friday, 10 to 4, Saturday, Sunday.
1: Thanks for everything your organization does, Adam. Thanks for the work that you do and for being a friend here at uh, 680 CGOB.
8: Thanks for letting us tell people that the services
0: are there. One,
7: two, three.
0: Yes, indeed. It's the first day of winter, and it's cold. And one of the things we think of in winter is Santa Claus. So it's Three Things Now with Chanelie Vidal. Where is Santa Claus really from? Good morning, Chanelie.
5: Good morning, Brett. Brett. Good morning, Greg.
1: Shanley,
0: do you have the definitive answer for us
1: today?
5: Well, I have I have uh, a few countries that I'm going to talk about that are laying claim to Santa Claus, and uh, l- let's see if we can figure out which one has the strongest claim.
1: Okay, sounds good. Will we vote after? Let's vote after.
5: Okay, let's 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 vote. Uh, so first off. Finland. Now, Finland has its own long-standing relationship with jolly old Saint Nick. Now, here is a clip from Anu Muhonen from the University of Toronto. In Finnish, we call him Joulupukki, the Christmas uh, Santa. Dates back to hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and we, of course, think that the Santa, the real one, comes from Finland. And like she said, Santa Claus is said to have lived in Lapland, that's a remote area of the country's northeast. And Santa's home in Finland is so well known that hundreds of thousands of people flock to see his home there every year. And according to Vesa uh, Leitonen, Finland's ambassador to Canada, Santa likes to eat casseroles and many types of fish. Those are foods common throughout Finland. His reindeer like to eat moss, not carrots, he says. However, while insisting that Santa lives in Finland, Leitonen says any claims about his citizenship were actually... Untrue, he's uh, he says, and I quote: He's older than states and above such bureaucracy. Mm. After all, he can fly over borders with his reindeer. As for Santa, every child in the world is equally dear, regardless of citizenship. Oh
1: boy, that makes a pretty strong that claim does. there for that Finland. Does okay,
5: make a, a very strong claim. So right. our next claim comes from the United States. Thanks. What? Yes, the United <laughs> States course. claims that Santa Claus is a U.S. citizen, and that, actually, that claim comes from from uh, one Mr. Santa Claus himself. Oh, gee whiz. In North Pole, Alaska, there is a city councillor named Santa Claus.
1: Santa Claus I was born in the United States of America, the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Merry
5: Christmas. He works at 125 Snowman Lane. Okay, Of course. But this guy has only been known as Santa Claus since 2005. That's when he legally changed his name to Santa Claus. He's actually keeping pretty tight lipped about what his real name used to be. So I think this is a rather dubious claim.
1: Uh, very dubious claim. I'm looking at the uh, Google Maps here, Brett. And North Pole, Alaska is hundreds of kilometers away from the actual <laughs> North Pole. So you know what? what Santa Claus? Yeah, you are an imposter, buddy. He's out.
9: He, he,
5: he's out. He's out. Okay. So, in my opinion, the country with the evidence that makes the strongest claim of having Santa Claus as a citizen is Thailand? No, can- no. Canada. Oh, oh, Canada. <laughs> Canada right <Thailand>. here. <laughs> okay. Okay, so here's the proof. Children from all over the world send letters to Santa, mm-hmm. and you know where those letters end up? The North Pole in Canada. And of course, Santa Claus, we know that because Santa Claus is one of Canada Post's biggest customers. Really? Yeah, it's true. Here is John Hamilton from Canada Post.
0: Santa travels the world. Uh, The world loves Santa and gets ready for him every year. But we know when he flies his sleigh home at the end of the year, uh, end of Christmas, he's going back to uh, his Canadian address in the North Pole uh, with his own postal code. H-O-H-O-H-O he's the only one that has that because it's such a big address
5: that, that's a pretty strong claim now as well to add to that in 2013 Immigration Canada issued passports to Mr. and Mrs. Claus Really. Immigration Minister Ahmad Hassan said he can't say too much due to privacy concerns but he does say that Santa and Mrs. Claus's passports are valid for 10 years and should the couple choose to reapply once their current documents expire he says improvements to the country's passport application process will make it easier for them to be improved now In addition to all of this, earlier this month, a team of Canadian and Swedish researchers studying rocks beneath the Arctic Ocean announced has preliminary results that show Canada's geographic boundary could extend well beyond the North Pole.
1: And there you go. All you need to go. All you need to know, well done, Shanley. Uh Finland, nice try. Nice try. Nice try, I Finland. I
5: like their attitude, though. I
1: like the diplomatic approach and the lack of borders <laughs> thing. But see, when you're ambiguous like this, you know, yes, you're kinder, but you're not winning any competitions that way. No, sorry.
5: I think I think we've got this one. It's Santa Claus is Canadian. Slam dunk, baby.
0: Shanley Vidal. Three things with Shanley Vidal heard every day on the Shadow Davis show at eight oh seven on six eighty CJOB. Uh Shanley, by the way, you know what I sorry. Thank you, by the way. She brought us in all little, little gifts today, and they're all really nice. So thank you. A little nice yes. tree ornaments.
5: You're welcome. No, don't think that I have a heart or anything like that. <laughs> that, that. That may have been done. That may have been left by my, uh, my twin, the, the good one.
0: And sure. And uh, where do these uh, ornaments come from? You said, was it... Uh Oh, you, what was the term you used? The, oh, they're fair trade.
1: I, they're
5: fair trade. Actually, I did not make them. I bought them at a store called 10,000 Villages. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it's just uh, you can find it off Pemmon. I believe there's one at Henderson. And so a mm-hmm. lot of their items are, are fair trade made by maybe people in different countries um, like I- India and Bangladesh. And it's all fair trade items and really, really neat, unique stuff you'll find in there.
1: One of our loyal listeners, Danny says uh, American Santa poser. Nope, he's not that Santa. <laughs> Twisted Sister Parody for you on Parody Thursday, Christmas carols that you may have never heard and a little bit of a twist on them. Greg Macley, Brett McGarry, it is the Shadow Davis Show, Shadow Standing By, and uh, we did give away a pair of tickets to see Cavalia Seo make an incredible Christmas gift for someone. Uh, Jerry, would you like to reiterate the question and uh, share with us also who won these incredible tickets, this amazing prize?
3: Absolutely. The question was, <laughs> in the Australian Christmas song, how many white boomers are pulling Santa Claus? How Anna? many white boomers are pulling Santa Claus?
1: <laughs> and how many calls did you have to take at 780 Surprisingly... <laughs> I took six calls.
10: Ironic okay. that.
1: And th- th- why is that ironic?
10: Because there were six white boomers. Six white boomers, snow white boomers, racing Santa Claus through the blazing sun. Six white boomers. Can you name them though, Jerry? White,
3: boomers, uh, white one, white two, <laughs> white three.
1: Scott, one of our loyal listeners, texted in. He goes, Six boomers named Jackaroo, Curly, Bluey, two up. Desert Head and snow, and I still couldn't get through. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Scott. Next but time,
3: Rick Gerard did get through, and he had the answer.
0: Congratulations, Rick Gerard. Going to see Cavalier Odiseo next year under the white big top at Sterling Line and Keniston. It's a show that is on uh, from mid-May until early June, and we have one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow, and still to come. This morning on The Shadow Davis Show, we have another four-pack for the Winnipeg Renovation Show happening next month at the Convention Center.
1: This has been a big story this week, Brett. The American government uh, comes to light, has been spending $22 million, and I think it's a year, on this uh, UFO program. And the former head of the program came out and said, yeah, we may not be alone. Shadow Davis has more.
3: Good morning. I realize this story is a couple of days old, but it boggles my mind on one level, which I'll get to at the end of the piece here. First thing, the Pentagon has officially confirmed there once was a $22 million government program to collect and analyze anomalous aerospace threats which is pretty much government speak for UFOs. It was officially called the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program and it operated from 2007 to 2012. The program has generated a currently publicly unissued 490 page report that documents alleged worldwide UFO sightings over several decades and was headed by an official in US military intelligence named Luis Elizondo who resigned from an office in the Pentagon less than two months ago to protest government secrecy and opposition to the investigation. The Washington Post reported last week that Elizondo was responsible for the public release of footage taken by U.S. fighter jets that shows aerial objects maneuvering in inexplicable ways. If you haven't seen it, just Google it. It's really kind of mind-blowing. Not necessarily the actual footage, but the pilot's reaction to it. We're talking about highly trained and experienced fighter pilots who are completely baffled by what they're seeing. Listen. Dude, a fucking bro. There's a whole fleet
4: of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots west.
6: The whole thing, dude. Well, there's like Look at the there's thing, it's rotating.
3: All right, nothing we haven't seen or heard before, right? I mean, what I can say in looking at this video, the aircraft doesn't appear to have wings or a wingspan that could manipulate the size of the craft, never mind rotating in 120-knot winds. Okay, here's the former head of the UFO program, Luis Elizondo, who was on CNN the other day. They
2: will tell you unequivocally that through the observation, scientific methodologies that were applied to to look at this phenomena, that these aircraft, we'll call them aircraft, are displaying characteristics that are not currently within the U.S. inventory, nor in any foreign inventory that, that we are aware of. My personal belief is that uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone, whatever He that points
3: out he doesn't speak for the government because he's no longer with them. But he's not a silhouette on camera, he's using his real name, his voice has not been altered in any way. He was the head of this program for five years and again just resigned in October. This is very fresh. He says this aircraft is not part of the US inventory or any other country's inventory that they know of. And let's face facts, it's their job to know this stuff. He also mentions the aircraft seems to defy the laws of aerodynamics. So technically the government hasn't admitted the existence of UFOs, just that they funded a program. But here's the part that baffles me. This was a worldwide story this week, covered everywhere. And what was our reaction to it? Meh. Bottom of the page, fluff piece, no big, just another crackpot. Whatever, man, I gotta go to the mall. And this may be the point in history where UFOs have finally been confirmed. And we don't care. Seriously, what's it gonna take? An alien autopsy? If what you are about to see is real, it's the most startling film footage in history. Although we remain skeptical, some experts believe this is authentic footage of an alien life form. This appears to be an actual autopsy. Wait, never mind. Never never mind. Back to Mackling
1: and McGarry. I think the plain and simple fact is, Brett, that most of us thought this was an actuality in the first place.
0: Yeah. To so, learn that the, the, the U.S. government was involved in UFO research or monitoring there have been conspiracy theories that the U.S. government has been involved in this for decades. So to finally get some confirmation that they're at the very least paying attention, that's not a surprise.
1: In related news, the National Hockey League announced that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest hockey player of all time. <laughs> and the world came to a standstill. <coughs>
0: Joyce of music, Jerry, for our next segment. If you've been to St. Boniface Hospital, there's a very good chance you may have met George Ames and his dog, Rusty. George and Rusty volunteer weekly as greeters to all who enter and pass through St. Boniface Hospital's Everett Atrium. The pair have received Senate 150th Anniversary Medals. This happened last month in Ottawa in recognition of their generosity, dedication, volunteerism, and hard work in their community. George and Rusty are here now along with St. Boniface Hospital Foundation President and CEO Vince Barletta. And we are on Facebook Live as well. This is... uh, I have to say, first of all, and uh, George and uh, Vince, welcome, by the way. Um, George, I have never met Rusty. I've met you, uh, but not Rusty. So this is a huge treat. I've seen pictures, and uh, the pictures simply don't do this dog justice. I don't think I've ever seen such an adorable uh, beast in my life.
4: Well, he listens to C G O B, so please <laughs> <to> know
0: that. <laughs> so these medals that you received, you you said that uh, it's solid gold. Is that what I heard you describe this well, medal
4: as? Th- well, that's a joke. It's uh, it's an alloy, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, uh, you I know your relationship with the hospital is uh, long standing, So why don't you uh, drive the bus a little bit? Yeah, here.
1: well, you know, Rusty, uh, I've known since uh, the boys, my boys were born, and and Vince, as you know, my relationship with the hospital uh, started far before my relationship with the foundation and uh, Rusty's friendly face and George's demeanor uh, combined to make people feel very welcome when they walk into what can be a really difficult situation. And this is uh, an extension and part of a a therapy dog program that extends beyond George and Rusty. It's something uh, that a lot of people don't realize happens at the hospital at St. Boniface and and at hospitals around the country.
10: Well, that's exactly right, Greg and you know we uh, we have the pleasure of telling amazing St. Boniface Hospital stories every week here on on Health Report here on CJOB and you know so much of what makes St. Boniface Hospital a special place are the people and occasionally the dogs <laughs> That, that animate the place and, and and really help tell its story. And so at the uh, St. Bonnevas Hospital Foundation we were really pleased to be able to honour uh, a couple of individuals and Rusty who were uh, have made such important contributions to St. Boniface Hospital. One, Larry Vicker, uh, who's been a sponsor of our Radiothon for many years and then of course, George Ames and, and Rusty who are here uh, today. Both of those individuals honoured by the Senate of Canada through their Canada 150 uh, medals program as, as George was describing and we were just happy to uh, uh, lend our support to that as well and and honour them also for their specific contributions to St. Boniface Hospital.
1: And George, uh, the whole idea of of comforting people when they're coming into uh, for whether you're a patient or you're just visiting, maybe you're visiting your mom or your dad, or in my case, going to see my babies in the NICU, there's just something settling about an animal. When we talk about therapy animals and comfort animals, uh, you know, the science is there to prove that they do have an effect on us. uh, Sometimes in ways we can't understand and other ways that we can quantify.
4: Yes, it's uh, the science is there and I get to witness it with my own eyes, uh, regularly, and I guess that's what brings me back. I've been a patient at the hospital. My grandchildren were born there. My son was born there. So I I enjoy giving back. Uh, my wife and I donate to the foundation every month, and we see what the foundation does as far as support the NICU, where your children were born, uh, mental health, uh, so many things, research, and uh, we enjoy giving back. And the I think the tax man gives us back about 45% of our contribution <laughs> through a tax credit. so That doesn't hurt, it's, right? it's good for everybody.
1: Absolutely. Now, Rusty and I spent some time together uh, earlier this month. Uh, you're going to be seeing a ton of both of us on television <laughs> coming up in January as part of the uh, next incarnation of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation uh, Mega Million Choices Lottery. He's an outstanding co-star. I have to say, Aaron and I loved working with him. He didn't talk back, but I can't get over how well he behaves in a group, George. Uh, how old is Rusty, and how is it that you've been able to uh, train him to be just, his demeanor is just incredible.
4: Well, he, he does look like a teddy bear. I think that softens up people's hearts right away. The glasses with no lenses uh, are a curiosity. It gives him character. People want to know why he keeps them on, and I think he he uh, thinks he looks good in them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How did that
4: start with the glasses? <laughs> well, it it just happened uh, one day at the hospital. A, a lady whom I know uh, brought in these glasses and said he would look good in these glasses. So we put them on, and he left them on. He didn't shake them off. So what kind of dog is he, by the way? He is a mix. Um, I call him a teddy bear mix. He uh, has a he has a gift. He has a face that is friendly. He has a demeanor that is. Uh, you want to hug him, I guess, and, and he's just got a look that people are drawn to. And, and people in a hospital, as uh, someone was saying, can be stressed out. Uh, they're worried about their family, th- themselves, and people bring down their, their elderly mom and dad from the fifth or seventh floor com- to come down and see Rusty. And, and the smiles uh, <laughs> as they give him a little biscuit and get a handshake, um, it, it melts your heart.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever quite seen a dog who looks like Rusty. He's, uh, I want to say, uh, about a midsize dog. Uh, fluffy, brown fur, uh, big floppy ears, and yeah, he just looks so gentle and calm. And I guess that, that sort of calming effect um, that you bring to the hospital, is that, like, what keeps you going back every week you and rusty
4: well i think uh, deep down inside we all like to be appreciated like to give and i think that's my mother talking to me and, and she taught me years ago that you feel good when you give and uh rusty gives and i enjoy watching him give
1: George, I know you're getting away for the winter, right? You get to enjoy a little bit of warm weather this winter.
4: Yes, I'm old and retired, and I, I put in my time, so <laughs> we, es- we escaped the cold for a while. And, and Rusty comes with us. That's why we have to drive three days just to get there, you know.
1: But Vincent, this is this is uh, just a, one of those examples of of holistic care in my mind, right? It's not a clinical the way we used to think of hospital care in the past. This is Rusty's a prime example of that holistic care and and how. Um, our hearts can help heal the rest of our bodies.
10: Well, you know, uh, healing is a is a complex and 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 wonderful process and you know, part of part of that healing process is the care you get from the professional medical staff and the equipment and the tests and the procedures, but another part of it is that thankfulness and that compassion and that giving back that, is, that we see again and again at St. Boniface Hospital. And again, you know, those, those stories are, in many cases, very emotional stories, very personal stories uh, involving families and others. And, you know, but just to see people like, like George and, and Rusty and so many others, but particularly when you see uh, Rusty in the, in the Everett Atrium and you, you walk by and you see the smiles on people's faces, young and old, it's, it's just absolutely incredible. George are there set days
0: of the week where you and
4: Rusty visit the hospital? We try to make uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoons a priority and we usually are. Okay, and when when do you
0: flee for the winter?
4: We're off next Friday.
0: Next Friday, okay. Well, hey, congratulations uh, to you, George Ames, and to you, Rusty, for winning the Senate 150th Anniversary Medal, and uh, Vince Varletta, St. Boniface Hospital Foundation President and CEO, thank you for joining us and for continuing to foster these kinds of relationships that allow for a better experience for those who come through the doors to seek care at your facility. Thanks so much.
6: Macho Man, Macho Man, Macho Man. yeah, five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's Macho Man. Macho Man, Macho Man, can Macho Man? Oh yeah, can you dig
2: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. Rep McGarry with Greg Mackling. What a perfect selection of music for this moment here because we are in fact going to talk about wrestling as we head in to the Christmas weekend and I want to play a clip for you here explaining what happened illustration always better than explanation this is from earlier this week WWE Stephanie McMahon
4: do you people want to see these women make history once again then on January 28, The Road to WrestleMania kicks off in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we will have for the very first time an all-women's Royal Rumble match!
0: Now I will uh, add a disclaimer. I am a wrestling fan. I don't pay a whole lot of attention anymore but once upon a time I was a massive fan and I in fact won a contest to go see Wrestlemania X7 in Houston courtesy of our friends down the hall at Power 97. You couldn't win that today. No, no, this was before (laughs) I worked uh, for this company but I love wrestling and the women's division, one of my buddies Mike uh, Burkus, is still huge into this uh, into wrestling and he says the women's division is as deep, is as good as it's ever been. He's really excited about about this. So, to talk about this, we're going to bring in national online journalist for Smart Living and Entertainment with Global News, Katie Scott. The headline WWE Stephanie McMahon announces first ever women's Royal Rumble match. You can read it at globalnews.ca. Katie, good morning to you. Good morning. Where have we joined you first of all? Where are you? I'm
9: in Toronto right now.
0: Are you a wrestling fan, Katie?
9: I have to admit, I don't usually watch wrestling, but I watch the show Total Divas on E! And it's like the reality show for the female league.
0: And what do you think of that show?
9: I love it. I think it's so good because it shows you the behind the scenes and the life that these girls, these women live. And I think it's really interesting, you know, a lot of spotlight on the Bella twins and John Cena too. So it's really good to watch.
1: You know, and I confess, I used to pay attention to wrestling back in the day, and it was my observation, Katie, for the most part, that, that women were just the, uh, pardon the terminology, arm candy. They were simply there to attract eyeballs based, well, let's face it, they were highly sexualized. Uh, we played Randy Macho Man Savage there, that Christmas jingle, right? And uh, who was he associated Elizabeth. with? Elizabeth. Wasn't that really a sister in real life or something bizarre like that? No. No, that's <laughs> No,
0: I, I think they were actually married. Were they actually married? Yeah.
1: Okay, I, uh, there you go. There's an urban lef- legend <laughs> dispelled right here. But that was really the the role of of women in wrestling. Fair to say, Katie?
9: Absolutely. I think that before even the show Total Divas started, that the women were more so seen as something to look at, and they weren't really taken seriously as professional athletes. But after you know WWE dropped the term divas in 2016 at WrestleMania, so now they're they're... They're either called the women's champions or the women's superstars. So I think that gave them a little more seriousness and not just something to look at in the ring.
0: Yeah, and Katie, I'll admit uh, when I was a big fan, it was the late 90s and the early 2000s. And they did have some great women wrestlers. I think of one named Lita, for example, who was an excellent athlete. She was highly acrobatic, and she pulled off stuff that most of the guys could not and yet she was still hypersexualized. I remember Jerry the King Lawler, who was the, the color guy, referring to, you know, the, when the puppies would come out uh, or he'd talk about the women's thongs. So even though they were celebrated for their wrestling skill, they were celebrated very much for the way that they looked. And now they're being celebrated for their skill in the ring.
9: Yeah, I think it's a great thing, too. And to have a woman's Royal Rumble, I think a lot of people are going to tune into that. And, of course, these women are beautiful, but they do really work hard, and they're always training, and I think they deserve a lot more credit than they get.
0: And also, I think what's interesting is in this, you know, this time where everybody's sort of senses are heightened regarding harassment and all these allegations that are coming out and you know the treatment of women in general along comes an organization that a lot of people kind of look down upon I think thumb their nose at it oh pff, wrestling wrestling is dumb
10: yeah. uh
0: here comes the wwe and says we're going to give our women a spot a, a sort of a, a the spotlight they deserve
9: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of these wrestlers took to Twitter to say how happy they are to be a part of history in WWE, and they're just so happy that they can keep making more movements for women in this league. And I think it's great. A lot of them were really emotional and they were brought to tears. So I think it's going to be something that everyone's going to watch. Most people, even if they don't watch wrestling, I'm sure they'll catch a clip online.
1: Now, some people may not realize we referenced uh, Miss Elizabeth. Uh, She passed away back in 2003. Mm -hmm. And so uh, another thing I didn't know. So being on the periphery of this sport, I look at this in the bigger picture, uh, Katie, as we have this discussion. I'm thinking about Jesse Graff who dominates on American uh, Ninja Warrior, uh, Ronda Rousey, who uh, was the preeminent uh, force in MMA for at least a couple of years. In fact, won the ESPN award as the Outstanding Combat uh, combat athlete uh, over Floyd uh, Mayweather about three years ago. And what Serena Williams has managed to do on the tennis court, so dominant. Uh, this really is a one more, one more demarcation point in terms of uh, females and their ability to compete on the large stage uh, in terms of athletics.
9: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even Serena Williams, she has her own Nike building now too. It's just a lot of momentum right now for females in sports.
0: All right, Katie Scott, thank you so much for joining us from Toronto today on 680 CJOB. Thank you. Katie Scott is national online journalist, smart living and entertainment for Global News. You can read the headline, read the story at globalnews.ca. WWE's Stephanie McMahon announces first ever women's Royal Rumble match. And just to give you some context uh, about the Royal Rumble, and I'll try to explain this as best as I can, it's sort of like a battle royale but they don't all begin in the ring it's 30 guys Jerry 30 guys but they they are introduced one at a time so it's two guys in the ring or is it
3: start at two i can't starts at 2 okay. yeah and then uh, every so often, I think every two minutes or every five minutes, whatever it is, they call in another one.
0: Yeah, so you could have potentially up to 30 people in the ring, and uh, then the winner of the Royal Rumble, which happens in January, gets a shot at the title at their biggest event, which is WrestleMania. So the Royal Rumble is w- their second biggest event of the year, I think. This is a big deal that the women now have equ- and basically an equal playing field, get their own highlight event at, at probably at the the time where their talent roster on the female side is as deep and as good as it's ever been. So
1: Yeah, it's one of these stories that you look at it and you go, how do you not talk about this? Yeah. You know, it's uh, symbolic, not only in the wrestling and entertainment world, but it's symbolic uh, in terms of our society as a whole. And uh, uh, wow, I'm going to give a thumbs up to the WWE for how they're treating women. And that's not anything I would have imagined
0: even five or six years ago. Yeah, well, I really well said. I, I, I admit... That I, when they used Jerry Lawler used to talk about puppies and stuff. When I was twenty, twenty one, I got excited about that. And uh, but I w- I did. I will say, I Lita, for example, she was a great wrestler, and I enjoyed watching her wrestle. Not just because I thought she was hot. Oh yeah. We've been talking about the different holidays being celebrated in December of the last few weeks, including Hanukkah. Yesterday we learned about Yule, and now. Well, hi hey, let's talk about Christmas, of course, with that big holiday only a few days away, and we are joined by a familiar voice to listeners of 680 CJOB, it's the rock and roll preacher, Dr. Greg Glatz joins us from Calgary. Greg, how are you, man?
11: I'm doing great. Great to be on the air with you guys.
0: What kind of car are you driving these days? You always had a hot rod.
11: Yeah, I, I did sell the Camaro before I moved to Calgary, and I'm... I'm driving a GMC Terrain with all-wheel drive, which in mountain country is the perfect vehicle. But, you know, the the vehicle I ride every day is my bike.
1: Yeah, you are an advocate for uh, increased and and better uh, active transportation. Calgary uh, has a ton of that, doesn't it, Greg?
11: Yeah, it's a good city for that. I, I didn't come with that intent to Calgary, but I moved here, and they say it's an active city, and it really is. It certainly changed my life anyway.
1: Minus 21 in Winnipeg right now, uh, depending on what weather app you're looking at. We're calling it minus 18 outside CJOB, about minus 8 in Calgary. You guys were uh, downright balmy for about 10 days out there, double-digit highs. I think I saw 16 degrees in the first week of December. Do do you miss winter, Greg?
11: Well, well, we have it now. We have about a foot of snow or 30 centimeters of snow on the ground, and we're heading out to the mountains where they've got – Probably four times that much.
1: So does it does it feel like Christmas? I know the first Christmas I spent in Calgary, it was uh, twenty three degrees on uh, on December twenty third. <laughs> so you know you can't always count on a right white Christmas. Sometimes you have to go up to the mountains. But just just talk about uh, how you're getting ready for Christmas, uh, not only yourself but spiritually as well.
11: Well, shoveling snow is a part of getting ready for Christmas, and that's probably because I'm a Winnipegger. But as many of the listeners know, I'm also a minister. Uh, I'm working at Knox United Church in downtown Calgary, and that is a really big, important time of the year in the Christian tradition. It's uh, Christmas Day is when we celebrate the birth of Christ, and Christmas Eve tends to be kind of that watch night kind of service where we anticipate uh, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And it's amazing that 2,000 years later, that's still, uh, despite, the way our society has changed, it's still a really important night for people. It's the biggest night we have at Knox, and it was the same when I was at Westminster United, Winnipeg. Uh, usually uh, at least a 1,000 people, somewhere up to 1,300 people show up on Christmas Eve at those churches.
0: Yeah, Greg, what what is up with that? Because uh, I have some friends who would refer to themselves as part of the, the C&E crowd. You know, they, they'd right. show up, to, they'd go to church Christmas Eve and, and Easter.
11: Well, I think, um, to be honest, uh, including myself, because I didn't grow up in church, people are very interested in spirituality, but they're a little shy about religion, and some people are really turned off by religion because they've had some negative experiences or they see religion in the news. But Christmas and Easter, those big holidays, especially for churches that really celebrate them in a, I guess, a warm and welcoming way, I, I think people are looking for a spiritual connection, and they... They see churches as a place to have that spiritual connection. I'm glad they do. I I would say to any of your listeners, most churches would be glad to see you come through the doors, not to make a commitment to a religion, but just to explore your spirituality.
1: Are we doing a better job or a worse job at, at making that connection between the meaning of Christmas? And even if you're secular, right, if maybe you take a little bit of the commercialism away or maybe you embrace the commercialism a thousand percent, but also take time to, uh, you know, pause and, and, and share some some good tidings with others. Are we, are we getting better at that or worse at that,
10: Greg?
11: You know, I thought a lot about that as I was doing talk radio on CGOB for 10 years. And I I feel you were talking about giving just a moment ago. And I think giving, including giving presents, is kind of the spirit of Christmas. And I know it's a real hassle to get into the shopping malls and the local stores and buy those gifts. And I know the bills pile up. But really, Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. And I think when we're buying gifts for others, I'm going to say that we're we're actually getting pretty close to the real meaning of Christmas, the the real spirit of Christmas. So, Greg, what, do you do anything
2: unique
0: or special uh, in your preparations at the church for to celebrate Christmas?
11: Yeah, you know, I think actually my favorite thing around Christmas time happens tonight, which is the longest night of the year. And we do a service on the longest night of the year called a blue Christmas service. <laughs> it's service for people that just aren't feeling... It's the most wonderful time of the year. So it's a low-key service. It's more laid back. The music gives people uh, time to reflect and perhaps grieve, especially if they've lost a loved one. Or here in Calgary, a lot of people have lost jobs and opportunities. And we find that that service is exactly the right thing for somewhere between 30, 50, 60 people who just can't get into the big celebration of Christmas, but do still want to have a spiritual connection. And that happens tonight at our church uh, in Calgary, and it happens at a lot of churches, including some in Winnipeg this evening.
1: Greg, what will you tell those people
11: tonight? Uh, We give them uh, permission to acknowledge loss and grief. And we say that God came into a world in which there was already loss and grief. God is not trying to get people to forget about that or to ignore it or to pretend it didn't happen. And I think that permission is what people are really looking for that it's okay not to be happy, not to be in the the, the so called Christmas spirit this time of year. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be dealing with the loss. I think just giving people permission is the best thing we can do, and, and people seem to respond to that very well.
0: Now, Greg, I called you the rock and roll preacher uh, to start the segment. Are you still active in playing music?
11: Yeah, I am. I'm not as active as I was in Winnipeg. I am playing tonight, and I'll be playing at both services on Christmas Eve at Knox. But uh, I, I will say, I think, uh, hopefully nobody from Calgary is listening, I think the Winnipeg music scene a little bit hotter, and it's a little bit more fun to play in. But the Calgary music scene is catching up.
1: Yeah, they already know that in Calgary, though, Greg. It's okay. (laughs) They they know that they're behind Winnipeg on several things. (laughs) Hey, and before I let you go, just this popped into my mind, just this whole idea that that Christmas is being taken away from those that celebrate it in our country. Uh, I don't think that's uh, true at all. Uh, What's your take on that?
11: Yeah, I've never really got that whole war on Christmas thing. I feel that we live in a society that makes room for Christmas, and yes, As as you've been doing on your show, it makes room for other holidays as well. I like that. I don't feel anybody's trying to take away what's meaningful to me, and I actually like hearing about what's meaningful to other people. I think that makes for a more robust and more interesting society to live in. So kudos to you guys for acknowledging all the holidays of this time of year.
0: All right. The Reverend Dr. Greg Glatz joining us from Calgary. Thank you so much. Good to hear from you again, man. It's been a long time.
11: Yeah, likewise. Love your show, guys, and thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks, Craig. Merry Christmas.
0: The Start On
3: Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.